Welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. Uh, my co-host today in the studio is Doug Worthen. And on today's show, we're going to learn about Veterans Day on the Hill and get an update from the Minnesota Department of Military Affairs. But first, it's time for Generally Speaking, a weekly message from the Adjutant General of the Minnesota National Guard, Major General Sean Mankey. In April, we celebrate Earth Day, honoring our commitment to environmental preservation with more than 13,000 service members and civilians working in 58 different communities across our great state. We have the potential to make a positive environmental impact. Just one example of our commitment is the 60-acre, 10-megawatt solar field at Camp Ripley, harnessing the power of the sun. This project produces enough energy to power all of Camp Ripley and earned Minnesota the Pentagon's top environmental award for natural resource conservation. The Camp Ripley Solar Project is just one of the many environmentally friendly efforts made by your Minnesota National Guard. Whether it's our renewable energy projects, wildlife management, or building new energy efficient facilities, we're taking action to protect our shared environment, not just on Earth Day, but every day of the year. For more information, please visit minnesotanationalguard.ng.mil. That's minnesotanationalguard.ng.mil. Thank you, General Mankey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. My co-host today is the uh, retired State Command Sergeant Major, Doug Wortham. And Doug, as a a State Command Sergeant Major, you had a little experience with the Minnesota Department of Military Affairs. Yeah, I certainly did. Of course, uh, you know, working over at the Vet Service Building for that last assignment that I had, I I had a a great opportunity to spend a lot of time with our, our next guest here. And we got a special guest. Why don't you take it from here? And let's yeah. see what we can learn. I'd absolutely love to. So our first guest uh, with us today on Minnesota Military Radio is Don Kerr. Uh, Mr. Kerr has served the state of Minnesota since February of 2008 as the principal planner for the Department of Military Affairs, which is the state agency that administers the National Guard. Mr. Kerr retired from the Minnesota National Guard as a colonel in March of 2008, was brevet promoted to brigadier general, and uh, throughout his career served in a myriad of roles, uh, career spanning 28 years plus. Mr. Kerr, Colonel, General, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thanks, Doug. It's good to be here. Thanks, Tom. Um, so, Mr. Kerr, you and I have a, uh, a history. Um, I, I was joking earlier that we, bet, uh, we met for the first time back in 1996, and uh, you were a young uh, major at the time. I was just a young uh, sergeant coming into the recruiting command. And over the course of that year, as you've seen a lot of things change inside the Minnesota National Guard. And, of course, now in your current role, you've seen things from another side. How has that looked for you? You know, it's been really interesting. I, I really thought when I was coming into this job, because I had been affiliated with the National Guard for so long, as you said, 28 years of service prior to to becoming a state employee, that I kind of figured I'd know everything about it. But what I found, and this is still true to this day, I, I learn something new about our agency every day. Usually it's something really good. Once in a while, it's something kind of sketchy. But for the most part, it's something really good. Um, but it does still really shock me at how complicated our organization is and how uh, wonderful it is, really, in the way that that everybody backstops each other and and the, the systems just all work to really complement each other, um, blending federal and state resources together and looking at the long term to see how we can affect the future uh, to make sure that we have a relevant National Guard, both on the Army and the air side, uh, long into the future and maintaining our facilities, trying to take the right steps at the right time to do the smart investment 
uh, so that we can continue to serve the people of Minnesota and the people of the nation. I, I would imagine that when most people think about the Minnesota National Guard, uh, they think about uh, the soldiers, the airmen that make up, I mean, the actual military organization, the National Guard. But it's more than that. What is that separation or what is that true function of the Minnesota Department of Military Affairs? And how do the civilian employees that you have or the Department of Military Affairs have, uh, how does that support the overall mission of the Minnesota National Guard, the military component? So, Doug, the, the Minnesota Department of Military Affairs is the state agency that oversees and supports the National Guard. So when the National Guard is not in federal service, they're under the command and control of the governor. And the Department of Military Affairs is that state agency. So we have about 380 state employees that do work to support the National Guard. And that could range from providing security at the entrance point to Camp Ripley and our, and our air bases to uh, doing the planning in the facilities maintenance office to plan and, uh, and conduct the construction of new armories and the renovation of existing armories and uh, things like that that support it. Uh, for example, the, the fire department at the Duluth International Airport is manned 100% by state employees who are reimbursed by the federal government. Their primary mission is to provide fire suppression and uh, fire crash fire rescue for the 148th Fighter Wing, but they also provide that service for the city of Duluth and the, the Duluth Airport. Uh, that, that's uh, an immense contribution to the local economy and to, uh, the, to the airport's function. So those types of, of activities that kind of go on behind the scenes, the, the legs of the duck underneath the water, if you will. And Don, I understand the way this is organized is the adjutant general is not only the manager or the uh, general uh, of the uh, Army and Air National Guard, he's also a commissioner from the governor of the Minnesota Department of Military Affairs. Is that how that all kind of fits together? That's exactly right, Tom. He is a cabinet-level commissioner of the administration. He is, uh, I don't, I think he's the only cabinet-level commissioner that doesn't require Senate confirmation. It's a direct appointment by the governor, and it's not tied to any political party or the governor's term. We're speaking with uh, Don Kerr, who's the principal planner for the Department of Military Affairs. Um, so if I understand it correctly, then, sir, um, you have the, the agency, um, our civilian employees for the Department of Military Affairs, and, and really you support the overall mission so that the military side, they can do their job, and then you have that supporting function to make sure that the whole agency um, runs smoothly, and then you're also an advocate um, at the legislative sessions to help to get some of the funding and the things that we need as a military organization as well? Uh, that's right, Doug. So I'm the, I'm the principal liaison to the legislature. I'm the, I'm the, so when the agency needs to be represented as we're discussing items for our budget or policy changes, I'm the principal negotiator. I represent the adjutant general in that role. Uh, so I'm the one that has the relationships with legislators, and I work with the governor's office to ensure that they understand our priorities and uh, and can help us get legislation through to help support the agency. For example, we've got a couple of policy initiatives going through right now. Uh, one of them is very important. It's to update the Minnesota Code of Military Justice to be in better alignment with the Federal Uniform Code of Military Justice. As they make adjustments to the Federal Uniform Code, um, we have to bring the state code up because when our service members are serving in what we call Title 32, that's the federal authorization for state service, um, they're not subject to federal law. They're, they're subject to state law. And so it's very important that we have the necessary tools in place to maintain good order and discipline in the National Guard. And to the greatest extent possible, we want those to mirror what we have on the federal side because all of our attorneys and our commanders are trained in the federal process. So the, the more similar we can make those two processes, 
the, the more transparent uh, our disciplinary actions are and the easier it is to manage that uh, inside the system. Uh, we have another initiative this year. Um, currently in law, our, our enlistment incentives program, which is an unusual thing. State of Minnesota actually does provide funding to the department to provide enlistment incentives, and we fund our state tuition reimbursement program and bonuses in some cases to our service members. And um, it was it was kind of commonly believed and held as practice that we didn't need to incentivize soldiers who had served for 12 years or more because they had already made a career decision to stay in the National Guard at that point, and so it was unnecessary to incentivize them. But as we're seeing the blended retirement system come in, um, what we used to call the golden handcuffs of retirement are no longer there. Uh, previously, you had to serve the full 20 years to become eligible for a pension. And if you left at 19 years and three days, you, you got nothing. You just walked away from it. But uh, in 2016, the Congress changed that so that everyone that's entered service after 2018 is now in a new retirement program that actually gives them some kind of a benefit, even if they serve only 14 or 15 years. So we think it's important to get this policy change to allow us to use the incentives appropriation that's available to the adjutant general to incentivize those service members should it become necessary to meet the reenlistment goals that we have for the National Guard. Excellent. I, I want to make sure that we get an opportunity to talk a little bit about some of the other things that you do on behalf of uh, Minnesota's military members, both on the Army side and the Air side. But before we do that, we do need to take a short break. So please stay with us. We'll be right back on Minnesota Military Radio. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your co-host, Doug Wortham, along with our main host, Tom Lyons, and we've been speaking with Mr. Don Kerr, who's the executive director at the uh, Department of Military Affairs. Um, Mr. Kerr, before we went into break, you know, we're talking a little bit about money, the way that you support the uh, Minnesota National Guard. And one of the things that might be kind of confusing, and I know it is to me, and I served in our organization for quite a while, is um, you're not just dealing with that state funding. You have to also deal with some federal funding because of the fact that the Minnesota National Guard, the National Guard has that dual mission, and you have to be able to utilize federal funds where it's appropriate, state funds where it's appropriate, put them together when you can to accomplish the mission. How, how do you keep it all straight? Well, it's a very complicated process, Doug, but, um, and, and we have a team of people that do it, and of course the federal government lays out those practices, but um, we do a lot of support to the federal government through something called a Master Cooperative Agreement. And and that in itself is kind of interesting because generally it's a violation of federal law to supplement any federal appropriation. But there are a couple of exceptions to that. One of them is when there's a Master Cooperative Agreement between the Adjutant General of a state and the state and the Chief of the National Guard Bureau. And so we do have that. So for those services that I talked about earlier, like the firefighting, um, we actually pay our firefighters out of the state coffers and then claim reimbursement from the federal government for that. So we have a whole team of people that does nothing but manage the costs that we accrue underneath the various appendices to the cooperative agreement. And it gets kind of complicated, but there's one for like facilities maintenance is one of the appendices, and the range program is another one, and then the firefighters are, are another one, and the security guards in the Army, security guards in the air. And they all have different rules. So we have a small team that works very closely with our federal team in the United States Property and Fiscal Office at Camp Ripley, to make sure that we we stay on the straight and narrow and a very detailed process that gets audited about six times uh, all the way up and down the chain to ensure that we're using the funds in the appropriate fashion. But it, it does get kind of interesting because there are some things that we cannot do with federal funds that we can use state funds for and vice versa. There are certain things that we absolutely can't use state funds for that we can use federal funds for. And finding the way to 
not really blend them together, but to, to use those funds in co- cooperation so that we achieve a specific outcome is, uh, is always a challenge. And uh, our facilities maintenance office is a real good, good example of that. They have a very complex process that they manage the buildings that we have. And, and we have, uh, have about 60 armories around the state, depending on what day it is. And, um, you know, managing the different status that those are in and blending federal and state dollars to meet uh, different matching requirements that we have uh, is a very complex process. And they do a lot of, they do really good work doing that. And it's a great way to figure out how we can make dollars go farther. And even within the state funding, sometimes um, we'll receive a bond appropriation to do a renovation on an armory, but there are certain things that the Constitution won't allow us to use bond proceeds for. So then we have to throw in some money out of our general fund appropriation on the state side to meet the state requirement that may or may not get reimbursed on the federal side. And it's just, uh, it's a very dynamic process that requires a lot of attention to detail and a lot of work. And we have great people out there doing that for us in the state side. I know that uh, in your position, you also worked on a lot of the retention type of things for our soldiers and our airmen. And and last week, we spoke with Sergeant Major Joe Vogel talking about Operation True Grit and the incentives for retention and MOS reclass uh, bonuses and things like that. How does your agency support that effort for retention of our soldiers and airmen? So as I said, the uh, the legislature has been very generous. We get about $11 million a year in the appropriation to support enlistment incentives, and that includes the state tuition reimbursement program. So if you join the National Guard, we'll pay for your college, up to um, 100% of the U of M rate of tuition. Uh, that comes out of that fund, but we also have the ability to, to do bonuses on the state side uh, for retention and potentially for enlistment, though we typically don't use them for enlistment. We rely on the federal side. And that that's also another very dynamic area because we try to not duplicate anything that the federal government is doing so that we can make our dollars go farther. But the federal government often changes their bonus program literally overnight. And so it's very difficult to kind of read the tea leaves about where that's going and make sure that we have the appropriate incentives in place. But for example, we identified an area that we were concerned about from a readiness perspective, and that's our 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 medics have to be certified as EMTs in the state of Minnesota. And there's an ongoing requirement for that. And we found that many of our medics were not meeting that requirement. And so we decided to incentivize it. And right now, if you're a medic, we offer a thousand dollars a year bonus to maintain your credentials as an EMT in Minnesota. So that's something that we thought was very important. And that has improved the rate of uh, qualification for our, our medics So we think that that's doing the kind of thing that we need it to do. And, of course, those medics are available not only for federal service but for state service here, either doing civil civil disturbance response or reacting to floods, fires, and other catastrophes. Yeah, and maintaining those credentials are extremely important because it is expensive to get them to begin with, and you don't want to lose them because then they have to go through the training all over again. Uh, We are speaking with uh, Don Kerr, who's the executive director at the Department of Military Affairs. So... Looking over the last couple of years, our Minnesota National Guard's been extremely um, busy, a lot of things going on. Uh, what kind of things do you see um, that, that you need to be working on for our service members and for the organization moving forward, especially as we consider the higher op tempo that we've experienced and potentially could experience still in the future? Yeah, that's a really good question because, again, the, the, the federal situation is so volatile that, we, again, we try not to duplicate anything that the feds are doing. So trying to keep the pulse on or finger on the pulse of what the feds are doing from an incentives perspective, but also from a benefit perspective. But 
The agency is also deeply involved with Governor Walls. So Governor Walls sits on the Council of Governors, one of 10 governors uh, selected by the president to represent the states toward the Department of Defense. And our staff supports Governor Walls in that activity uh, in talking about defense-related issues. And so some of the things that we're talking about there are to make sure that we have adequate full-time support numbers. Um, there is a concern right now that, that the Army National Guard seems to be underfunded compared to the other services. So that's an issue that we're doing some work on with the governor's office to try to shine some light on that at the national level and get some answers to the questions of why is this the case. Um, our, our, we also try to look kind of deep and uh, you know look at what's going to happen in the future. And that's really important to, to us uh, it's much more important to me now than it used to be, but we're looking 40, 50 years out. And, for example, right now, we're kind of concerned that both of our air wings are flying not the newest equipment. And we're looking at how can we solidify a path forward so that we can ensure that those missions remain in Minneapolis-St. Paul and at Duluth into the future. And if that means we're getting new platforms, for example, we're we're advocating now to try to figure out how the 133rd Airlift Wing can upgrade from their current C-130H3s into the modern C-130J-30, which is, is what the Air Force, the active Air Force, is flying. And uh, that's that's a real struggle for us because we know that the Air Force is not going to have as many airplanes in the mix in the future as they have today. And so that's, a, that's really a, an interesting battle because we're trying to figure out um, how the game is scored so that we can score well in the game. And that's something of a challenge. But that's another issue that the Council of Governors is taking up, that obviously the Department of Military Affairs is working hard to support the governor's staff in trying to figure out how to approach that that problem. Uh, it's similar with the equipment on the Army side. Um, a lot of that advocating is done through the readiness of the unit itself. I mean, the 34th Red Bulls are, are known around the Army as being a really great unit. That makes it a lot easier. But I'll tell you, we have the same story on the air side. The 133rd and the 148th are both well-known in Air Force circles as being high-performing organizations. And sometimes that's just not enough. And so we have to look at how we can evolve that and take care of uh, the political concerns that we have to address and then walk the fine line of uh, how do we have our adjutant general in uniform engage politically without crossing any kind of ethical lines. And that's one of the other roles that I have as a non-uniform member of the team. Uh, I have certain things that I can do that, that the adjutant general can't do because he's in a uniform. And so I will sometimes work as his proxy under certain circumstances to communicate with political leaders to ensure that they understand what our concerns are and uh, and try to help us out. So what I'm hearing you say over, you know, our last few minutes of conversation is that um, you're not, you are concerned about the immediate fight because um, we have to be. But you, your agency, the Department of Military Affairs, along with, of course, guidance from the Adjutant General and our governor, uh, you have to look ahead because you need to set the Minnesota National Guard up, Army and Air. We need to set them up for success in the future so we're not chasing or trying to solve a problem then when we can resolve some things now or at least get some actions uh, in place. That's exactly right. And trying to make uh, the right investments in our infrastructure. So, for example, building the right kinds of facilities that will support future missions for the National Guard in Minnesota rather than than building something that we know we're going to retire the next year because it wasn't built to the right specification for a future mission. Uh, sir, we've got 30 seconds left. Any final thoughts from the Department of Military Affairs? You know, I really want to thank the people of Minnesota for their support to the National Guard and to the Department of Military Affairs. Uh, we, we It makes it a lot easier to come to work when you know you're being supported in the community, and we feel that every day. 
Thank you. That was Don Kerr, who is the Executive Director for the Department of Military Affairs. Sir, have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining us in the studio. Ladies and gentlemen, please stay with us. We'll be right back on Minnesota Military Radio. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. My co-host in the studio today is Doug Wortham. And in a moment, we're going to talk to the DAV of Minnesota about Veterans Day on the Hill. But first, it's time for the Commissioner's Corner, a weekly update from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Now, here's Commissioner Larry Herkey. The Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs offers disaster relief assistance when a natural disaster strikes. Disaster relief assistance provides up to $1,000 in reimbursement to veterans and dependents that live in an area affected by natural disaster, such as tornado or flooding. This assistance is available when a declared state of emergency by the governor of Minnesota. Veterans and dependents must provide receipts, verifying proof of approved expenditures listed per the type of disaster. Please contact your county veteran service officer for more information or assistance in applying for disaster relief benefits. Find your CVSO by calling 1-888-LINK-VET, MDVA's one-stop customer service line for Minnesota veterans and their families. Thank you, Commissioner Herkey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. Veterans Day on the Hill will be held in person next week on April 20th. This is a chance for Minnesota veterans and supporters to have their voices heard by the legislature and governor. There's important work on veteran suicide prevention, eliminating homelessness, and taking care of survivors to be done. If you're interested in organizing a bus from your area, the DAV of Minnesota is offering to reimburse half of the expense to get supporters to the Hill. If you have a bus coming, reach out to davmn.org to help spread the word. The latest information can be found at davmn.org. Joining me now to talk about Veterans Day on the Hill is Trent Dilks, who is the Legislative Director for DAV of Minnesota. Trent's been serving in that capacity for the past eight years and also serves on the DAV National Legislative Committee. Uh, Trent is a two-tour Iraqi Freedom vet- Veteran, and Trent, welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. Always good to be back. Thanks for having me. We're coming up on uh, that day that you look forward to every year, and that is getting all the veterans we can and getting them over to the Capitol and talking to our elected officials. I I can't wait. Veterans Day on the Hill is back. It's uh, better than ever, uh, and it's in person again. So I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be it's going to be good. And this is your has been your focus for most of the last decade is is legislative initiatives to help our veterans. Legislative initiatives, yeah. I, I was just looking eight years, uh, coming up on nine years uh, doing this uh, at the state level, and I did uh, some work for the U.S. Senate before that for Veterans Constituent Services. Okay, what's that day look like? What time do the veterans have to be over there? Yeah, uh, so the doors open at 10 a.m. and for the veterans out there, 10 a.m. Uh, but we know some will show up about 8.39, but please try 10 a.m. Uh, doors are going to open. We're going to serve coffee. Uh, we're going to have some rolls, things like that, some light refreshments, uh, and then we're going to serve a free lunch about 11, 11.30. Okay, and the DAV is one of eight federally chartered veteran service organizations that make up the Commander's Task Force, and that's made up of the American Legion, VFW, MVETS, Paralyzed Veterans in Minnesota, Disabled American Veterans, Military Order of the Purple Heart, Marine Corps League, and the Jewish War Veterans. And you guys have been working for the last year on legislative initiatives, and we've posted all those initiatives on the CTF uh, website. But uh, can you tell us what are some important things coming up this year that you're that you're working on? You know, one that uh, I'd like to highlight is the uh, post-9-11 veterans bonus. 
Uh, so in the state constitution, it provides for a bonus for war veterans. And uh, we've done that for World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and Gulf War. The, the state has provided a, a, a benefit, uh, a bonus, for those uh, who served in those wars and during that time. And we haven't done it. The only generation of war veterans we haven't done it for is post-9-11. Uh, with the withdrawal from Iraq, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, uh, I don't think we've overlooked it. I just think nobody knew when the right time was, and we're saying uh, now is the right time to pay that bonus. You know, Trent, even as an old Vietnam veteran, I remember getting a little check about 50 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yep, they went out, and uh, they'd be much bigger if we adjusted for inflation, but we're, we're just calling for a nice bonus just to recognize those those service members. Seems like it'd be a good year to talk about that. The, the legislature's got a little extra money. You might be able to get her done. I've heard something about a couple dollars floating around there, and we just want a few cents of it, so... All right. What else? Uh, you're working on some property tax relief for post homes? Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, there's the property tax relief for post homes, but we're also working on the property tax relief for the surviving spouses. Uh, and, and that's the big one. Um, with the expansion of benefits for our Blue Water Navy veterans, you know, after 30 years of denying our Blue Water Navy veterans, uh, just within the last two years, we finally gave those Vietnam veterans the benefits they had earned. And that means surviving spouses have also earned their benefits. So if, uh, if there are widows out there whose uh, veteran died as a result of their service, they're now eligible, but we got to make a change to the law to make sure they get the property tax value exclusion. There's a little time limit for them to apply, and maybe it's already passed? Yeah, right now it reads two years of the death of the veteran, and we really need it to be two years of receipt of benefits. Because the other thing that happens is sometimes the VA uh, wrongly denies claims, and then you'll have a surviving spouse that'll fight three, four, five years to get the benefits that they had earned, and that means they'd also be outside of the statute. So we want to, it's a, it's a simple language change, but it's going to take care of an important group of widows. Common sense would say they'd make that change, but we're talking about the legislature. We are, not as common. Maybe works. We're speaking with Trent Dilks, Legislative Director of DAV Minnesota and Minnesota Military Radio. What other priorities are we working on? You know, and then when we look at some of the, the, the funding things that we'd like to see done, uh, there's some funding for veterans' homelessness. We sure are getting close here in Minnesota. We're about to be down to two continuums of care. Uh, here in Hennepin and Ramsey County is the only two not at functional zero, a couple hundred uh, homeless veterans. Uh, so we'd like to see some funding go to MACV, who does an amazing job fighting veterans' homelessness, and some additional funding to some of the state programs to work with uh, uh, the, the landlords out there and the property owners to try to get this last small group. we we got to make the final drive to end veterans' homelessness here in Minnesota, and we can do it with a little help. And, Trent, we know that's one of the governor's priorities, to eliminate veterans' homelessness. And as you say, you've got MACV, you've got the Minneapolis VA, uh, you've got the DAV and the CTF. Everybody's working on this. And it's a heroic effort, so I hope the legislature's come through with that. It is. We, we could use their support on this one. we got to drive it home, and we're so close. All right, what's next? Um, another one that we're looking at is um, there's some funding for the VSO. So all the ones that you listed there, uh, they receive a, a small grant from the state of Minnesota, and um, it hasn't been adjusted in 10 years. Uh, while the, the cost of serving veterans and doing those sorts of things. So we do claims. Uh, we provide free transportation. Hopefully your listeners are familiar. But there hasn't been any adjustment there, so we'd like to see a slight adjustment uh, if they're going to do a supplemental budget. Um, it's not even an inflation adjustment, but at least what's the difference between what inflation would have been and where we were at. And Trent, everybody in our listening audience is fighting inflation right now, and they know costs of, for everything have gone up. So you might have a chance with that, I think, too. You know, y you would hope so, but uh, we had this one last session, and we didn't uh, we didn't get it through the finish line either. So, like you said, common sense not so common, but uh, we're hoping we're hoping. 
Now, Trent, I know one of the things that the DAV of Minnesota does is, is to help our disabled veterans get out and hunt and fish and get out in the fresh air. Uh, I think you're working on some uh, some cost of fishing license as well. Yeah, when we take a look around at states that uh, you kind of synonymous with the outdoors, Texas, Colorado, Montana, uh, you look at them and they have benefits for disabled veterans um, that really either provide greatly reduced or free uh, hunting and fishing licenses. Um, you know, you're talking about some veterans on very low income, fixed income, um, and to be able to open those opportunities up to them uh, is something that we'd like to do. It's something that's been on our agenda for seven years. Uh, I don't think this year's the year either, uh, but, you know, we keep bringing it forward. We keep trying to work with uh, the DNR and the governor's office and the legislator to see if we can't expand those opportunities. Now, Trent, we're going to have to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about Veterans Day on the Hill and, uh, and a couple other items, but it's important for our veterans that are listening out there today. Get in your car, get on your motor scooter, get on a boat, get, a, get in an airplane if you have to. Get to the Capitol. Borrow your neighbor's horse. Just get on over there on Wednesday the 20th. All right, we're going to take a short break. We're talking with Trent Dilks, Legislative Director of DAV in Minnesota on Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. We've been talking to Trent Dilks, who's the Legislative Director of the DAV of Minnesota, and we wanted to make sure that everybody's aware that Veterans Day on the Hill will be held in person next week, April 20th. This is a chance for Minnesota's veterans and supporters to have their voices heard by the legislature and the governor. There's important work on veteran suicide prevention, eliminating homelessness, and taking care of survivors to be done. If you're interested in organizing a bus from your area, the DAV of Minnesota is offering to reimburse one half of the expense to get supporters to the Hill. If you have a bus coming, reach out to DAV of Minnesota to help spread the word. The latest information can be found at davmn.org. And, Trent, we don't care how they get there. We just want a lot of veterans up there talking to our elected officials. We, we, we got to get them there. And, you know, pre-pandemic, we were getting a pretty good turnout. But seven years ago, when I uh, what made me kind of step in to help organize this is we had to suddenly take down chairs. We were in the armory. The rotunda was closed. And uh, the supporters didn't show up. And we had the governor and at the time the majority leader showing up and we had to quickly take down chairs so it wouldn't look so empty when the lawmakers got there. And so it is so important. If we're going to get the decision makers there, it is so important that we get the, the veterans and our supporters. You don't have to be a veteran to show up. You just want to support our veterans. You're welcome as well. And you can even have the free lunch. Now, Trent, as I recall, before the pandemic, the last one of these we had up there, we filled the place up. Up three levels, up three levels in the rotunda. I, I remember distinctly I gave a speech, and it almost rattled the whole thing down. That was how loud the applause was, so many people in there. Maybe it wasn't that, but it was close. Pandemic got in the way. We had to do Veterans Day on the Hill by radio. Yeah. But now you got a chance to go back to the Capitol, and we need our veterans to show up and get over there and, and uh, convince our elected officials that there's work to be done. We need our veterans to show up and, and to tell their buddies that they're bringing them for coffee and not to mention that it's in St. Paul when they show up to Veterans Day on the Hill. Bring two or three willing or not uh, with you, and we'll get them coffee in a roll. So and they'll go be all to, right. Go to DAVMN.org to see if you can get some uh, reimbursement for your expenses to get there now. You've been up to the state capitol talking to legislatures all the time, every year. Yeah, trying yeah. to trying to promote these uh, initiatives that are that are supported by the commander's task force. What's the process? How does the state pass these individual laws, or are you trying to put them all together in? Into one bill. Yeah, so right now they'll end up in these giant omnibus bills, the tax bill, the state government finance bill, and um, they'll be with a bunch of uh, unrelated issues. 
right? So some of the most controversial issues will be rolled up, and then as a footnote, there will be veterans' issues. And so we get kind of lost in the wayside in the fight over the big partisan issues. We're nonpartisan. We're a nonpartisan group. I don't participate in partisan politics, but our issues end up in those fights. And what ends up happening is we see year after year veterans initiatives that don't make it, not because they weren't good, not because they were too expensive, but because they couldn't get separated from some of these hot button issues. And uh, so that's really why we're looking at trying to call for a, a veterans omnibus bill to pull these out and to try to get them through. Because this year it looks like it's going to be one of the more contentious ones. And I sure would hate to not take care of our veterans or their survivors because of the other fights that are going on. And the other thing that Commander Task Force likes to do is to support the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs to make sure that they get the budget to help take care of our veterans as well. Well, and, and you know, that's absolutely, and shouldn't funding our veterans' homes, our veterans' cemetery, right now we're having a little bit of a fight just to get the operating funds for the new veterans' cemetery that's opening up in uh, Redwood Falls. I mean, we've made that commitment. There are veterans, uh, families who plan on having them interred there, and we have to fund that. So why wrap that up in a more controversial spending bill? Why not pull it out, send it to the floor, probably get unanimous support. I wouldn't want to be the one senator who voted against it, that's for sure. So we're coming to the end of the session, and everybody's over there asking for money, and they're all looking for attention. And you've got your your normal uh, tax issues that they deal with. Uh, the Department of Military Affairs that supports the Minnesota National Guard is over there. Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs is over there that takes care of our veterans. And, of course, you've got these initiatives for veterans. It seems to me the best way we can get their attention is to fill up those three levels again. Yeah, we got to fill up those three levels. We got to send a clear message that we want to see things done. We want to see things done for our service members, for our veterans. Uh, it's just so important. And the way to do that is to show up. Uh, it's my favorite quote decisions are made by those who show up. So that's on uh, Veterans Day in the Hills, April 20th. You want them over at the state capitol by 10 a.m. Where are they? Where are they forming up? 10 a.m. Come to the St. Paul Armory. It's just adjacent to the state capitol. That's where we'll give you coffee rolls, free lunch. Uh, there'll be a few speakers there, and then we're going to walk over to the, the memorials, and we're going to march up to the rotunda. About 1:15, the doors are going to open in the rotunda, and we're going to have ourselves a good old rally. Sorry, I'm visualizing the old veterans marching from the armory up to the Capitol. You know, you put them in a formation, and they march like they're about 40 years younger. All right. And then they can get up there, and they can listen to the presentations, and they can have an opportunity to talk to their elected officials while they're there. Yeah, and in the morning, I encourage them to try to schedule or invite their elected officials over to the lunch, schedule meetings in that, that gap in the morning, do it afterwards, give them a call while you're there uh, any way you can. And if you can't make it, Go ahead, go to DAVMN.org and check out our legislative tab and check out our MinFluence network. Very good, Trent. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having me again. That was Trent Dilks, the legislative director for the DAV of Minnesota on Minnesota Military Radio. Joining me now is Brad Dobzinski, the public affairs officer from the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System. Brad, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thanks for having me back on, Tom. It's always a pleasure. Brad, uh, we usually talk to the director uh, on these things, but you've got them all tied up today. I'll bet you did that just so that you could get on the radio and tell us all good things about the Minneapolis VA Medical Center. Hey, sometimes i got to step in for them and, uh, you know, take some credit for some of the things that are going on, too, you know. Well, a good public affairs officer will do that. <laughs> Brad, I want to ask you about uh, you got something coming up the week of April 25th to May 1st. Yeah, we've got uh, Patient Experience Week, so... That's when we're really going to highlight um, 
all the good things that we do with our patients. And, you know, the bottom line is every interaction that we have with patients is an opportunity to really own the moment with the veteran and to high, highly showcase all the good care that's being given and all the great uh, you know, providers we have here at the hospital. So we got a week uh, that we're going to highlight that, and we've got something going on every day. So, Brad, i got to ask you, the last two years have been full of this COVID pandemic. Are things getting back to some kind of normal out at the Minneapolis VA? They are. We are moving back as, as you know, slow. It's a slow pace, but we are getting back to normal, a lot more face-to-face and in-person consults. Um, we are still doing some of the uh, video and the call-ins, but we are getting back to pre-COVID levels, um, which is really wonderful for everybody. You know, a lot of our, a lot of your patients and a lot of our veterans have been out there to get the COVID vaccines, the first two of them, and a while back we got a booster. Uh, is the VA going to have the uh, second booster available? You know, Tom, we just started doing that. Um, the second booster is now available for veterans that are 50 and older, and any veteran that has any immune-compromised issues, they can come in and get it as well. But we have it right now, and we're providing that for our veterans. In fact, we've already started providing that for our employees as well. Heck, I've already got it taken care of for myself. Very good. So does that mean that uh, you said anybody that's immune-compromised and over 50? So generally, I've heard that anyone over 65 should get it. Is, is that uh, the same, your, your view on it? That is the view. Anybody over 65 should get it. Um, between 50 and 65, it's you know I, I would consult your doctor if you have any questions to make sure that that's right for you. But it is okay for for folks over 50. Now, in the past, Brad, we were told to wait that uh, our primary care doctors would contact us when it's our turn. Uh, how do we go about getting the booster if we're interested? You can come on in and you can talk to your primary care and ask them, and they can probably get it for you that day. We do have a clinic, uh, an area open here at the hospital as well to do that. So can we go online and communicate with our primary care and say, uh, can I get the get the booster and they'll fix you up? You sure can. Well, I think that's, uh, that's the quickest and easiest way to get uh, good communication from your doctor, at least in my case, because yep. it works pretty well. It really is. And then our, our primary care docs are really good at you know, relaying that information, making sure that the veterans know exactly what they can do and where to go get that taken care of for them. Very good. Now, I understand there's some kind of a change to the veterans crisis line. Yes. As a matter of fact, in July, uh, on July 16th, they're going live with a new number for the, vices, for the crisis line itself. Now, the old line's going to stay. The 800-273-8255 is going to stay active. But they're, they're going to make a new number. It's 988. And for veterans, they'll press 1 like they do with the 1-800 number. But it's going to be active in July. So it's a, an easier number to remember for folks that are having issues that need to talk to somebody that are in trouble um, for, you know, any issues that they might need. And they can just dial that 988 and then press 1 for veterans. So that's going to go active in July on the 16th. Very good. All we have to remember then is 988, and we'll remind them a couple of times. And understand you've got a special awareness month coming up as well. Sure do. You know, it's Sexual Assault Awareness Month here in April, and, and I'll tell you, some of the facts, I don't think people realize how many folks in the military have, you know, military sexual trauma. Um, and we're, we're bringing this to light, and we're, we're making sure that people understand that they're not alone and that there is help for them, and they just have to go look for it and get get that help that they need. 
Very good, Brad. Glad to hear about that, and happy that uh, we can now call our primary carrier or contact them to, to get the uh, the COVID booster. I want to thank you for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Tom. That was Brad Dobozinski, the public affairs officer from the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System on Minnesota Military Radio. We're just about out of time. Thanks for listening to this edition of Minnesota Military Radio. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us this week. Trent Dilks from DAV in Minnesota, Don Kerr from the Minnesota Department of Military Affairs, Brad Dobozinski from the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System, and my co-host, Doug Wortham. Commissioner Larry Herkey, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, and finally, Minnesota's Adjutant General, Major General Sean Mankey. Please join us next week as we check in with the Camp Ripley Training Center and get an update from the Minnesota Military and Veterans Museum. That's coming up next weekend on this station or online anytime at minnesotamilitaryradio.com. I'm Tom Lyons, and I hope that you make a difference in someone's life this week. Minnesota Military Radio is a production of iHeartMedia, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, the Minneapolis VA, Beyond the Yellow Ribbon, and the Minnesota National Guard. Your host is Tom Lyons, founder and owner of Phelan Partners Limited, a merger and acquisition advisory firm. Tom is a life member of the American Legion, VFW, Vietnam Veterans of America, and the DAV. For podcasts and the latest updates, follow us at minnesotamilitaryradio.com. 